Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your holy throne again, Lord, to worship you, for you are worthy of all honor, majesty, power, glory, blessing, even our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for whom are all things and in whom all things hold, who holds all things by the word of his power. Lord, we come as those who have been saved by him, saved by his faithfulness, by his righteousness, by his blood. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who has given us a new birth, who continues to teach us the things of Christ. And we pray now as we enter into your word that you would give us permission, that you would show us what says the Spirit about these things. For these things cannot be understood by the flesh. For the flesh profits nothing. It is the Spirit that gives life. And Lord, we pray that you will give your people life, that you would resuscitate them to the life that is in Christ Jesus. And we just are thankful again, Lord, for gathering us here this morning. And Lord, may you glorify yourself in your word. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are having communion today. And we are in Leviticus 17. Leviticus 17, verses 1 to 11. Leviticus 17, verses 1 to 11 reads, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, to his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or a lamb or God in the camp or who kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people to the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices which they offer in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priest and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord." They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons, after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. Also you shall say to them, Whatever men of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who dwell among you, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice, and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. And whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and who cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The title of our sermon is It is the blood that makes atonement. It is the blood that makes atonement. 
It is the blood that makes atonement. And we preach Christ and him crucified. We preach Jesus Christ and his gospel because we have to be preaching Jesus Christ or else we have no gospel. If we are not preaching and believing Jesus Christ and his finished work, we have no gospel and we have no hope. We can be saying lots of things about Jesus and still not preach the gospel. There are a lot of people this morning who said or are saying or will be saying a lot of things about Jesus, but never preaching the gospel. We can come to church and build confidence of our standing before God in the activities of what we do in the church, but still not believe the true gospel even when we hear it. The ungodly do not need more rules to get better. If they could get better, they would have been better. If you could be better by yourself, you would have been better. The ungodly cannot be better by themselves. The ungodly need to hear how they can get accepted by God. They have already watched a lot of opera and Dr. Phil and still they have very low self-esteem levels. The gospel is not get better, reform yourself, then God will accept you. The gospel is the gospel because it is a message of victory for the hopeless sinner. The hopeless sinner is a defeated person. They need to hear the message of victory over sin, victory over death, condemnation, and the evil one. The message that in Jesus, God has fully reconciled himself to them on account of Christ's obedience, not on their account. In Jesus, their sin does not condemn them before God anymore. In Jesus, God is happy with them. His wrath was fully propitiated in the death of Christ. So the gospel shows its power in calling out sinners in repentance to Christ. The power of the gospel is not necessarily stopping one from drinking five glasses of beer. Anyone can stop drinking five glasses of beer. But the power of the gospel is evident when it calls men to Christ. When it calls the unrighteous to Christ and causes them to stand only in the righteousness of Christ. And one repents only as much as they see Christ. One repents only as much as they see Christ. If Jesus were to show up right now, my degree of repentance is going to increase. If my knowledge of Christ increases, my degree of repentance is going to increase. The more 
people see Christ in his glory, in their salvation, the more they repent, the more they grow in faith and maturity in Christ Jesus, the more they grow in confidence of their security in Christ. People don't repent by beating them up with instructions on how to be better. They repent by hearing the truth about Christ proclaimed over and over. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Jesus Christ is the word of God. If we are not preaching the cross, we have no gospel whatsoever. If we get tired of hearing about Jesus, we have no gospel and we have no hope either. If one is to be saved, they have to hear the gospel. And when they are saved, they still need to hear the gospel. You don't stop eating because you had dinner last night. That's not how things work. So we continue eating to nourish our bodies. So we continue hearing the gospel to nourish our spirits. God wants his elect, his chosen people to know his son and what his son has done for them. The gospel is about his son. Jesus Christ is the gospel. Men are not the gospel. Men do not complete or help the gospel to be the gospel. Men desperately need the gospel. Sinful men and women and children need to hear and believe the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Not to everyone who works, but to the one who does not work, but believes. The gospel is a scandal and an offense because it promotes laziness. This is the only time that God encourages people to be lazy. Romans 4, 5 says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. The gospel offends the diligent worker because it rewards those who do not work for their salvation with righteousness. So the question then is, what shall I do to be saved? And the answer is, stop working and believe. <laughs> stop working and believe. God does not save sinners because they are working. God does not save sinners because they are diligent. He does not save sinners because they are miserable. He saves them because they believe. God glorifies himself in giving righteousness to miserable people, the sinful and ungodly. And so the only true way for God to be exalted, remember salvation is all about God's glory. And so the only true way for God to be exalted is only if he 100% does the saving. He has to do 100% the saving. There are no shares to buy in salvation. All the shares 
are 100% owned by God in Jesus Christ. And because of that, Jesus Christ is the only condition of salvation. And because he is the only merit of salvation, salvation comes to us by grace alone. And salvation is not a project of saving just sinful people, but it is a project of God's glory. That is why God does not save everybody. So we don't contribute towards grace. Because if we do, then grace ceases to be grace. And as Apostle Paul says in Romans eleven six, But if it is by grace, that is salvation, it is no longer on the basis of works. If salvation is by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So he is saying it's either grace alone or works alone. You can never mix the two. So there is only one way to be saved in a way that you and I contribute nothing towards our own salvation. And it is by faith alone. Why faith? Why not faith and works? Because faith is not what you contribute towards salvation. If you work, you contribute towards salvation. But when you believe, you contribute nothing towards salvation. Faith is not what you and I bring on the table for God to give salvation. We do not bring faith. Faith is a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. It's given by God. It's given by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So salvation is by grace alone and through faith for the purpose that you and I don't boast. Oh, God so knows his people. (laughs) But faith is given only to the elect. Faith is not natural to men. It's only given to the elect that they may receive Christ. Faith is an empty cup that God gives to his elect that they may hold the contents of Christ that God pours into that cup. If your cup is already full of you, God has no use for your cup. True faith only looks to Christ for salvation. The faith that justifies only looks to Christ for its standing before God. Otherwise, it did not come from God. But to the one who believes, to the one who has been enabled by God to believe, their faith is accounted, it's imputed, it's charged to their account, it's reckoned to them as righteousness. And because of that, God's testimony of that person is they have passed from death to life, no condemnation on them. The wrath of God does not abide on them anymore. The ones who believe have peace with God. The blood of Christ purchased peace for them. 
the blood of Christ. The only merit between them and God is what removed the againstness that they had with God, even more the enmity that God had against them because of their sin. And this gospel, God had been preaching in the Old Testament scriptures in various types and shadows. In our text, in Leviticus 17, the Lord God of Israel instructed Moses to tell Aaron and his sons, the ones who ministered as priests before the Lord in the tabernacle, that no more shall the children of Israel kill any of the clean animals, the ox, the lamb, or the goat, outside the camp of Israel or outside the tabernacle. They were to bring all animal sacrifices before the Lord. But why Moses? Why? Verse 3 of Leviticus 17. Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or lamb or God in the camp or who kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. If they did that outside the camp and outside the congregation of Israel, God says, you are in serious trouble. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. So if any man would kill any of these animals without bringing them as an offering to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer as an offering to the Lord, God says, you are guilty of bloodshed. You are to be treated as if you have killed someone and they had to be cut out or cut off from the congregation of Israel. Now that sounds harsh. That, that will sound harsh to a lot of people. But I'm thinking, these are my gods. <laughs> these are my, my ox and my sheep. I have to do whatever I want. Just for a man who has killed his animal outside the camp to be banished from the congregation of Israel forever. That sounds harsh to me. But there's something that sinners don't understand. <laughs> sinners do not understand that God has the right to command how things have to be done. And how he has to be approached and he cannot be approached any other way than the one that he has stipulated. But there was a reason given. And it was God's reason. Whether it made sense or not, it doesn't matter. It had to be done because God had commanded it to be done. And the reason God gave was, again, in verse 5 of Leviticus 17. It was to the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices which they offer in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priests and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. The Lord was drawing attention to himself. He did not want any lame man 
to be slaughtering animals anywhere, whichever way they wanted. The animals now had to be slaughtered by the priests and at God's appointed location. We are working, we are going somewhere. It's going to be good. Also, this commandment was given to stop the Israelites from pagan practices of offering animals to some god gods. Apparently, there was a practice of offering gods to god deities. And they may have learned that in Egypt. Verse 7 of Leviticus 17. They shall no more, they shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. Also, the instruction that was given was within the camp of Israel, they could not eat or drink the blood of animals. Why did God instruct them not to eat the blood of animals? Because they were drinking the blood of animals. (laughs) Yes. And if they did, God would, from now on, cut them off from the people. So whatever man who was among Israel had to abide by these rules or else God would cut them off from the congregation of Israel. But what was this about? What was this about? What was God teaching them? Verse 11. Verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The life of the flesh or a living thing is in its blood. That's what God says. The blood is what provides life and vitality to a living thing. It carries oxygen, food, and it has the antibodies. The body's defense soldiers. It supplies every cell of the body to keep it alive. And so the life of the flesh is in the blood. Blood, therefore, is not just some fluid. Blood is not some coolant. It cannot be replaced with coolant fluid and still sustain a living being. Blood was given as a way of providing life for the higher creatures. Because by blood, God was preaching the cross. It's not all creatures who have blood. The smaller creatures, the bacteria, viruses, they don't have blood. (laughs) But for the higher creatures, God gave them blood because he was preaching the cross. God was teaching man about the need of blood atonement, to make atonement for their souls. And God here says, it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul The life of the animal was in its blood. So to not eat its blood was to teach the sanctity of life. Men had to be taught that life is sacred. The life of the flesh is in the blood and the blood is the life of the flesh. And this blood was given as a means 
of atonement for souls only if it been put on the altar. God stipulated that it is only by the blood on the altar that atonement for the soul could be made. So the blood could not be spilled anywhere and still make atonement. It only had power to make atonement when spilled on the altar. Now that is a lot of theology. <laughs> that is a lot of theology to unpack and we have the whole day. <laughs> God is the teacher. He is the master teacher. Very meticulous, very methodical, very patient in his approach, but very strict in his discipline. The children of Israel were the chosen nation of God's revelation of the gospel. And these instructions would not have been different if God had chosen the Canaanites or the Philistines or the Jebusites the instructions would have remained exactly the same. And those instructions given above were gospel instructions to teach them about life, sin, death, and the need of atonement and the means of that atonement. First, why does the soul need to be atoned for? The soul needs to be atoned for because the soul that sins must die. It must die. Ezekiel 18.4 Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Genesis 2.17 But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, 22, all men died in Adam. All men died in Adam. All men are born as souls that have already sinned in Adam. Men are not born innocent. They are born condemned in Adam. They don't have to do anything new to be condemned. You don't have to go and steal from your neighbors to be condemned by God. They will be condemned and are condemned because they died in the first Adam. And having died, the only way they can live is if there is blood atonement for them. Many try to do gymnastics about this very subject of being born innocent especially when it comes to infant salvation. But hear me, someone. There's none who can possess life who was born in the first Adam if blood atonement was not done for them in Christ. The law of God demands that the soul that sins must die, but God made a provision by which this soul could be spared of death. The soul that sinned could be spared from death if something shed its blood in the place of the soul or the person who had sinned 
And we see God doing the same thing when Adam and Eve sinned. When he covered them with the animal skins, it means what? It means something died in their place. Something died in their place. Why? Because the soul that sins, it must die. And so God commanded that the only way that atonement could be made is if there's a shedding of blood. For without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The shedding of blood was not a pricking of one's blood with some sharp object. It was not going to the doctor and having a blood draw and say, Oh, look at me. I've made atonement for myself. Or to just draw blood from some animal and then putting a bandage around the wound and letting it loose. And say, see, we're done with atonement. The blood made atonement only if it was shed in death. And so the death of the innocent victim is what was represented by the blood. It represented the ultimate sacrifice because it was a life-for-life transaction. And so the death of this innocent victim became the ransom price. It became the ransom price that released from death the one who had sinned. The death of the innocent victim was reckoned or imputed to the one who had sinned. And God on that basis set that person free. God reckoned them as not have sinned and not worthy of death on account of the blood that was shed. Now that sounds like the gospel to me. It sounds like someone coming and dying in our place that we may not die. The blood of the innocent victim was sacrificial blood. But this blood only had power to save the sinner because God said this was an equivalent and fair exchange to him for being wronged. The atonement was not made for the sake of the person who has sinned. The blood atonement was coming because of who God is. It is because of who God is that necessitated the blood atonement. And so God stipulated that this is the only way that atonement could be made. But the blood did not have power to save a victim unless it had been offered at a particular place. The blood had to be offered on the altar, otherwise it had no power. It had no efficacy to redeem anyone. It could not be shed anywhere where people wanted and be shed by any other hands. It had to be shed only by the people that God appointed. The priests, the Levitical priests. And the Lord was teaching Israel about how to make atonement for sin. Atonement for sin was to be done only by those that God appointed. The Levites, the priests who were from Aaron's household, they had to come from Aaron's 
line. And the animal sacrifice had to be brought to the altar of the tabernacle, the meeting place of God and sinful man. And if sinful men have to meet with a holy and righteous God, they needed a priest, a sacrifice, an altar, and a tabernacle. We are working. If sinful men have to meet with the holy and righteous God, remember God is in the midst of Israel. And if sinful men have to meet with this God, they needed a priest, a sacrifice, an altar, and a tabernacle. If they were to meet him in peace. So the priest, as I said, had to be appointed and qualified of God. Otherwise, their offering could not atone for sin. The priest had to handle the sacrifice according to the instructions that God had given. Otherwise, the sacrifice could not make atonement. So the sacrifice had to be on the altar. And the altar was the place of death of the victim who was to make atonement. What is all that saying? It is saying that God was teaching sinners how they ought to meet him and be forgiven of their sin. It was teaching sinful men of what they have to bring in exchange for their own soul. But that's the issue and how to bring it. Because if God does not give you this instruction, which Oprah doesn't know, they cannot meet him in peace. And God has been gracious to tell sinners how to make atonement for their own souls. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What does that say? The soul of a man needs to be exchanged. The Lord says, there is no profit, there is no gain to gain the whole world and all its materials and all its goods because it is not the means of making atonement for sin. So one can accumulate as much as they can of this world stuff and still not have enough to give in exchange for their own soul. Why? The soul of a sinner is under condemnation. It needs to be exchanged. Why? Because it belongs to death. Death has exclusive rights to the soul of a sinner. Death has a claim and a huge claim on the soul of each sinner because the soul that sins must die and every soul died in Adam. It died in Adam. And so the problem with all sinners is that they need to find something to exchange, something of value to exchange for their soul or else they die. They remain under the power of death. And it is a real problem, a very deep problem, a death problem, a God problem, and a righteousness problem that men have. 
a retirement problem. This is also an issue of retirement. Not 401k retirement, but retiring in hell or heaven. Sinners need to find something that God honors for this exchange. Because death is a servant of God and death only has power because of God. To make atonement for one's soul, one needs to bring the blood of the sacrifice that God has commanded. The death of the sacrifice that died on the altar that God commanded and offered by the priests that God commanded. That is the instruction of how atonement is made. By the way that God has commanded, by the death of the sacrifice that God commanded on the altar that God commanded and by the priest that God commanded. And so atonement cannot be made by anything that a man brings. Listen to Psalm 49, 6-9. We're going to be talking about this first as long as the Lord tarries but it's just too important to an understanding of the gospel. Psalm 49, 6-9. Those who trust in their wealth and boss in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. Do you see who gets the payment? The ransom of our salvation was not paid to the devil, like some people say. The ransom of salvation was paid to God. Listen, verse 8. For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever, and he should continue to live eternally, sorry, that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. What is that saying? God is saying by the psalmist that the redemption of one's soul is too costly, and you should just cease trying to save yourself. (laughs) You should just give up. Give up on trying to save yourself. Forget your works. Forget your running, your effort. Forget your own diligence. Forget your riches, Oprah. Because none of them can by any means offer sufficient ransom to God to redeem their brother. Why? Because the redemption of a soul is costly. The cost of redemption is prohibitive. It's too high. But the main reason is all these things are not the means by which God makes atonement for sin. God does not make atonement for sin by anything that man already has. In other words, these are not the means by which God justifies a sinner because we are talking about justification. We are talking about you getting accepted by God. That's what all this is about. And God does not accept anyone and give them life on account of anything that they do themselves. He doesn't do that. It's too costly for them to do and they don't even know how to do it. So listen to Apostle Peter, 1 Peter 1, 
verses 17 to 19, Peter says, If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing, listen to this, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Very excellent theology from Apostle Peter. Silver and gold cannot redeem a sinner. They are corruptible things. A sinner is only justified by the death or the blood of the sacrifice that God commanded and offered on his altar by the priests that he appointed. So forget the teaching that you can get yourself justified before God by helping him. You can't help in your justification. You are the one who needs the atonement. God does not need the atonement. He provides the atonement. We need the atonement. Preachers and believers need to understand this clearly. Work salvation is a false gospel because it tells you to bring your own goods, to bring your own gold and silver, corruptible things to try and exchange for life. That's what works gospel, works salvation is doing. And so those who say you have to improve your behavior to be saved do not know how God saves sinners. Behavior modification is not the ransom price of salvation. Behavior modification only happens to those who have found the blood that makes atonement. You see the relation of things. Sinners do not have a behavior problem. Sinners have a ransom problem. They have a redemption problem because what is required by God for their redemption is beyond their ability to pay. They are already condemned to die and they can't use their own blood to redeem themselves. Someone else An innocent victim has to come in their place to make this payment for them. So Jesus Christ is the priest that God appointed to bring the sacrifice to the altar and to make an offering on it of the sacrifice that God appointed. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice that God appointed to die in the place of those who were already under the sentence of death. So the question that we need to ask and answer is, did Jesus die on the altar that God commanded? And if the answer is yes, was God pleased with the blood that he saw of Christ? And the answer is yes. And how do we know that God was pleased with the blood atonement of Christ. He raised Jesus from the dead. Otherwise, Jesus also would have remained dead, still waiting 
for a ransom payment for himself. He'll be needing a ransom payment for himself. So God raised him from the dead. And that is all. If he died, then the ransom payment was made in full for those that he represented in his death. His blood completely atoned for the sin of those that he died for. It completely removed the curse on them, and that is justification. That is justification. The blood of Christ bore the curse of our sin completely and perfectly, and that is the good news of the gospel for one who has a weak conscience, one who is burdened by sin, one who is trying to get better, but they are stumbling, one who is depressed, one who has been doing drugs and they think the world and God have condemned them forever, one who has aborted many babies and they're still wondering, will God ever forgive me? One who has murdered many people and even for one who is dying tonight, if they could hear this gospel, this is the only way to make atonement for them. This is a gospel that they can take home. And that is a Christ that we can worship. A Christ who makes full atonement is a Christ who is worthy. He's worthy of worship. A wonderful and a marvelous Christ. A beautiful God and Savior. And those for whom he died for are free from condemnation. They have been fully reconciled to God. The sentence of death is not on them anymore. Hear this gospel again. Preached from Numbers 35. If you still remember. The cities of refuge. God appointed cities of refuge for Israel in Numbers 35. I'm going to read Numbers 35, 15. And then skip to Numbers 35, verses 22 to 28. So the Lord God appointed cities of refuge for Israel. And this is what we are told in Numbers 35, 15. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. Verses 22 to 28. However, this is describing the very person in Numbers 15 who accidentally kills someone. However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity or throws anything at him without lying in wait or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him so that he dies while he was not his enemy or seeking his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. Verse 25, so the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled, and he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of his city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood because he should have remained in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return 
to the land of his possession. If you go and read the whole chapter, there's instruction that the one who had intentionally killed someone was not covered by this provision. They had to be put to death right away by the avenger of blood. But the one who had fled to the city of refuge was set free, listen to this, after the death of the high priest. The one who has set refuge in the city of refuge, the one who had unintentionally killed someone, was set free after the death of the high priest. The high priest, not just some high priest, but the high priest who was anointed with oil. So the death of the high priest was reckoned as sufficient ransom price to set free the one who had run to the city of refuge. God stipulated that one could not bring any kind of ransom of their own. They could not pay themselves to be set free. The only condition for them to be set free was the death of the high priest who was anointed with oil. You hear the gospel, right? So it is the death of the high priest that removed the curse of the law on the one who had fled to the city of refuge. Once the death of the high priest had happened, the law had no more claim on its victim. As long as the high priest had not yet died, the one who had fled to the city of refuge had to stay within the boundaries of the city of refuge. And the law could not lay its hands on them as long as they stayed within the city boundaries. So the law could not lay its hands on one who is in Christ. It's only when they are out of Christ that the law has a claim on them. Since the law of God is holy and righteous, it recognizes and respects the freedom of the one who was set free by the death of the high priest. So the law knows its boundaries. The law knows its jurisdiction. It knows that it has no jurisdiction over one who has fled to the city of refuge. Jesus Christ is the city of refuge, and Jesus Christ is the priest who died, who was anointed. The law knows that it has no power over one who has been released on account of the death of the high priest who was anointed with oil. And so on the death of the high priest, this person could walk away free as a free citizen and they could start going to the mall of America again without fear of getting killed by the avenger of blood. And the avenger of blood is the law. The death of the high priest anointed with holy oil was accounted as his own death. It was accounted as sufficient payment, as full ransom payment, as complete justification of their sin. The death of the high priest, listen to this, was made effectual not by the one who needed it, but by the fact that he died. The value of Christ is not made effectual by your repentance. 
the blood of Christ is not made effectual by your conversion. The blood of Christ is made effectual because he died. Because he died as the one that God appointed to have that death. The death of the high priest was imputed to the sinner as righteousness. And that was enough to secure their salvation, their release. Romans 4, 23 to 25. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Jesus Christ is the anointed high priest who died, who was given over for our transgressions. And upon his death, we were completely set free. We were justified. His resurrection giving testimony of our complete justification. His blood made full atonement and full reconciliation between us and God. It is his blood. Hebrews 9, 11 to 5. That is going to be our last main text. You can't talk Leviticus and not God Hebrews. That's God's commentary of Leviticus. Hebrews 9, 11 to 15. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation. Not with the blood of gods and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and gods and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. We'll go to Hebrews 9 verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands that is of this creation. Jesus Christ came as the high priest of the good things to come. What good things to come? Things pertaining to our actual salvation, to our actual redemption. Good things about being set free from condemnation. He is the high priest who came with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, a tabernacle which is not of this creation, unlike that which Israel had. The tabernacle that Israel had was made from materials that could be found in Israel. Jesus Christ is this tabernacle 
not made with hands, and not of this creation. Jesus Christ is the light, the lamp, and the logos, the word of God who tabernacled with us by clothing himself with sinless human flesh. So Christ's tabernacle, his body, was not from Mary's womb. It was not of this creation. Because if it was of Mary's womb, then it would have been of this creation. So it is not of this creation, but it is from the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the true and only meeting place. Because that's what a tabernacle is. The tabernacle was the place of God's meeting with his people. And so Jesus came as the new and the better tabernacle, the only meeting place between sinful man and the holy God. Verse 12. Not with the blood of gods and cows, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. With his own blood, Jesus entered into the most holy place where the priests once every year on the day of atonement would go in and make atonement. Christ Jesus has entered not with the blood of some other animals, but with his own blood. He has entered with his own blood. And in this tabernacle, he has approached God on our behalf with his own blood. His blood that speaks better things, according to the right of Hebrews, than the blood of righteous Abel. The blood of Abel spoke revenge against his brother. But that of Christ speaks better things. What better things? He does not speak of revenge. God is not revenging himself on you. He speaks better things of peace and reconciliation between God and us. Not only that, he entered into the most holy place, the very presence of God, with his own blood as the sacrifice, and with himself as the high priest. And when he did this transaction, he did it once for all time, not once for everybody, but once for all time, speaking to the completion and perfection of that work. Why? Because the blood that he entered with, the death that he died, was enough to obtain eternal redemption. It actually did what it meant to do. It did. It accomplished the work that it meant to do. So the blood of Christ was once for all time enough to pay the redemption price, the ransom price, to make full atonement for our souls, to make the exchange for our souls from death. A ransom price, when paid, assumes the freedom of those for whom it has been paid. Always. Otherwise, it's not a ransom. If a ransom price is paid, then the ones who have to be set free have to be set free. And Christ, by his one payment, he set free all those who were under the condemnation of death. So the blood of Christ was enough to justify us. Why? Because his blood 
had life. Not the life of bulls and gods. Not the life of sinful man, but the life of God. The life that is not of this creation. And so it was able to set us free from death and condemnation, not for two weeks, not for two years, not for 30 years, not for when we are faithful, not for when we are feeling good, and not for when we tithe the most, but it obtained for us an eternal redemption. It is not dependent on us. Our eternal redemption is dependent on the blood of Christ. Verse 13 and 14. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself with us part to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The writer of Hebrews argues here from the lesser to the greater and says, if in the Old Testament, the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer were sufficient for the temporary purification of the flesh. How much more sufficient shall the blood of Christ be able to completely cleanse us? The blood of Christ has more virtue. It has more power to purify and cleanse from sin those who are sanctified. Jesus Christ offered himself as both sacrifice and high priest without any sin, without any blemish to God. And he, because of that, is able to cleanse our conscience from dead works to save the living God. And you wonder, what are dead works? Anything that is not of faith in Christ is dead works. Doesn't matter how glorious it looks. You can drill 20 million boreholes. They are dead works. You can build a lot of schools across the world. It's dead works. Unless it is based on the faith in Christ Jesus. Why? Why, why are they dead works? Because the one who works without Christ is still under the sentence of death. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's the problem. So your works that you do, please God because you're in Christ. Because you believe in his son. So unless one comes to believe the true gospel of Jesus' work, Jesus' finished work, they cannot have a clean conscience before God. They may have a clean conscience before man because they never stole from anyone. You can tell I grew up stealing. That's why I'm always talking about stealing. It's just we're stealing things from our neighbors. Mangoes, bananas, you name it. Anything that we could lay our hands on, we just be stealing and eating. <laughs> but not before God. No, not before God. Jesus thus offered himself on the altar. Because remember the three things that God instructed. The sacrifices have to be brought to the tabernacle, to the priests, and to the altar. So Jesus offered himself on the altar. What altar? The cross. Remember, the blood of the victim had no power to make atonement unless the victim had been offered on the altar. And that is why Jesus could not be stoned to death. 
Because if Jesus had died by stoning, his blood, his death would not have atoned for sin. Because death or being pushed over the cliff was not the place of the altar. And so that is why John continued to remind us and say, and no one laid their hands on him because his time was not yet. Jesus on Mount Calvary, on his cross, was the altar on which his sacrifice could be offered and be accepted by God. And so if a preacher is not preaching the cross, the death or the blood of Christ, they are not preaching an atonement that God accepts. It is a pagan atonement that they are teaching. It is being offered to God demons. They are not preaching reconciliation. They are not preaching justification. They are not preaching peace. They are busy inspecting your fruit. But God did not call them to be fruit inspectors, but to preach the gospel. But they have no gospel. And that is why they are fruit inspectors. So they tie you to their works program. And say, well, you be like me. Be like me. And you'll be well with you. <laughs> Verse 15. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. By means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. That those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. I don't know. Just the writing of the Holy Spirit is just too much. Just one sentence just is so pegged with things to say. <laughs> In Matthew 26, 28, the Lord Jesus said, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So what we have in Hebrews 9:15 and Matthew 26 and 28 is saying Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. Which new covenant came by the means of his blood, by the means of his death. Which means the new covenant did not come to being until Christ was on the cross. Which means when we are reading Jesus' words, we have to know that he was talking to people under the old covenant. Which means those who talk about the gospel according to Jesus need the full revelation of the gospel from what the apostles were given to make interpretation of what Jesus was teaching. Otherwise, if you just have the gospel according to Jesus without putting everything together, the full counsel of God's revelation, you end up with a work salvation gospel. Jesus was talking to people who were under a covenant of works. It was a covenant of works. But this was a period of transition. It was a period of transition. Just as the book of Acts was a period of transition. You don't find a lot of didactic theology in the book of Acts. You find the theology of Christ and his work expounded in the epistles. So the epistles are the ones that give us the understanding of what the church is and what the church is supposed to do and not to do. So they are the final commentary 
on all those things. But hear this. Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. Which new covenant came by the means of his blood, which is his death. For what purpose? For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. That were committed under the first covenant. What first covenant? The law. According to Jesus, his blood was shed for the remission of sins. It had a very specific purpose. So the gospel message is a message about the remission of sins. Do you hear that? About the remission of sins. The sins of those who are in Christ cannot kill or condemn. Do you hear me? Because the gospel is a gospel of remission of sins. The sins that you commit now cannot condemn you. There's no sin that you can commit that can condemn you. And a lot of people will be like, no, 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 you can't tell people that. They're going to go crazy. Like, no, 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 they're not going to go crazy. Those who are in Christ were redeemed completely from the transgressions that they committed under the law, everything that you failed to do according to the measurement of the law. That's what that is saying. But for what purpose were they redeemed under the new covenant? That those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. God purposefully called you not under the old, but under the new. Because the promise of eternal inheritance is only given under the new. So you can't go and try to impose the Old Testament requirements, the law on someone because God never determined to give the eternal inheritance by that covenant. So it is only those who are called who receive the promise of the eternal inheritance in Christ. It is these who were called who believe. All those who were chosen in Christ will be called. And they will believe and will receive the promise of the eternal inheritance, eternal life in Christ Jesus, justification and glorification in Christ Jesus and become heirs with Christ. That's the eternal inheritance. The new covenant then is very important because it is only under it that sins are forgiven. There's no other covenant under which God or by which God forgives sin. It is only the new covenant through which, by which, sins go into remission. Nowhere in the old covenant is said, this is the old covenant which is given for the remission of sins. There's nothing like that. Remission means cancellation of a debt or a charge or a penalty. Jesus' blood, according to his understanding, was shed for the cancellation of our debt to God because it is blood that makes atonement. You see the connection? Jesus connects his blood with the cancellation of debt. When cancer is in remission, it means the symptoms of that life-threatening disease have lessened or disappeared. 
you, you never talk about remission with a toothache. You never talk about remission with anything that is not as life-threatening as cancer. In our own language, remission with respect to sickness is with cancer. In Christ Jesus, the sin that would kill us is in remission and never to rise again. Never. The old commandment brings back the law and the law revives sin. It brings back the cancer from remission. The law brings fruit unto death. The law never kills sin because it does not have the blood that removes sin. The law does not have blood that gives life for one who has cancer. Christ has the blood that gives life to one who has cancer. You see the connection. So the gospel is a transfusion of Christ's blood to those who are dying, dead, and lifeless. Transfusion. And Christ is a universal donor. His blood is type O. It's only one who has type O blood who can give blood to everybody. Without their blood coagulating and causing trouble and causing them to die. So the fact that we have that blood group O is not by evolution. It's God preaching Jesus Christ. I'm telling the honest truth. He's teaching the gospel. So it is important to make distinction between the old and the new covenant. The old covenant does not have a good means to make atonement for your sins. It has the blood of bulls and gods. And it has a weak priesthood that is plagued by sin and death. Inferior priesthood, inferior sacrifice, inferior altar, and an inferior means to try to approach God. And what that means is these things will never obtain perfection, life, and righteousness for you. The old covenant can never give you perfection. It doesn't matter how long you try to do it. Israel tried it for more than a thousand years, and they're still in trouble. So the law then was given to teach the need for atonement by the blood of Christ. And now that we have been atoned for, the law of Moses has no more demands on those who are under the new. The law demands death from a sinner. And the new covenant has fulfilled that demand by the death of Christ. And that is why we also died in union with Christ. We died to the law in union with Christ. Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We have been brought near to God because before, God would electrocute us. (laughs) So we have been brought near how? By the blood of Christ. Revelation 1, 4 to 6. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him 
who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. Hear this. The faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Romans 5, 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We have been justified by the death of Christ. And the Lord says in Exodus twelve thirteen, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So the Lord says, there's only one condition for me to pass over you. That is, for him not to judge us. He says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. When I, this is what the Lord did not say. <laughs> when I see your good works, when I see your big check in the offering box, when I see your love offering, I will pass over you. No, he doesn't say that. He says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Why the blood? Because it is the blood that makes atonement. It is the blood that justifies. When I see the blood, and what matters is, is God seeing the blood. And remember, when he passed through Egypt, it was dark. It was at night. Deep darkness that could be felt, according to Moses. And yet the Lord still could see the blood. They could not see the blood that was on them, but the Lord saw the blood. So you too cannot see the blood that is, that is on you, but the Lord sees it. And that's what made us. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we honor you. We thank you for the blood of Christ. The blood that makes atonement. The blood that sets our sin into remission. The blood of the new covenant. The blood that removes condemnation. The blood that brings perfection. The blood that brings life. Oh Lord, what a wonderful testimony Christ has given us, his people. As we have this Lord's table, Lord, may you remind your people of the hope that they have in Christ. Of Christ's faithfulness to shed his own blood. Him who had no sin. Him who was not under the power of sin and death. And yet he submitted himself to death for our sake. Lord, we thank you for the gospel of grace because without it, there would be no hope for no man. And yet we are of all men hopeful because we know that the blood of Christ cleanses us from sin and it is precious blood. So it accomplished the work for which it was shed. Lord, we pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.